This is Wilderness and Wildlife, presented by the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. This is a half-hour program featuring commentaries and interviews with wildlife and wilderness advocates relating to the unique natural environment that we enjoy in the wildlands of the West and across America. I'm your host, Jay Shell. Our guest today is Rick McIntyre, the wolf researcher in Yellowstone National Park. No one has spent more time observing and documenting wild wolves than retired National Park Ranger Rick McIntyre, who has watched wolves in America's national parks for more than 40 years, 25 of those years in Yellowstone, where he's accumulated over 100,000 sightings. McIntyre is the author of the ongoing Alpha Wolves of of Yellowstone series, including The Rise of Wolf 8, the Reign of Wolf 21, and the recently published The Redemption of Wolf 302. He is currently at work on a fourth book about Wolf 06 and other Yellowstone Alpha females. This due out in the fall of 2022. He lives in Silvergate, Montana, just outside of the Northeast Park entrance. So, Rick, uh, welcome back, and for our second interview, uh, we appreciate uh, what, the information we're getting about wolves. Uh, wondered why, why, do, why do we discover that wolves fight among themselves? Well, thanks, Jay. Um, uh, by the way, it's, real, it's really been uh, fun uh, talking with you on the, in these interviews. You're doing a great job. Well, um, I think I, I, I previously mentioned that wolves are not like human beings. And people tend to fight over stuff, too. Mm-hmm. We have rivalries, uh, we have wars, we have gangs, uh, we have competitions, uh, so that's normal. So if we're talking about within a pack, then, uh, yes, there is competition be among the females to be the top one, like there would be with the males. And uh, one of the, the, the most famous stories here of the Yellowstone Wolves, and I, I tell it in detail in my second book, The Rise of Wolf 21, we had uh, talked previously about, um, in, the, in the earlier interview, about how Wolf 21 joined an existing pack with several adult females. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit more about what happened. So um, in that family, the Jewett pack, there had been a mother wolf, number 39, who had three daughters. And one of the daughters, when she grew up, wolf uh, 40, had a very aggressive, domineering personality, so much so that she turned on her own mother Mm. and drove her out of the family. Mm. Did the same thing to one of her sisters. Mm. She got rid of a mother, one sister, and then turned on the last remaining sister. That was wolf number 42. And even though 42 had the same parents, uh, pretty much the same genetics and the upraising as the violent sister, um, her personality was exactly the opposite. She operated on a basis of cooperating with uh, the other wolves in the family. Now, when 21 joined the family after the death of the alpha male, you could see that he was drawn to the easy-to-get-along-with-sister. And was I, I think he understood that he needed to be pretty wary of uh, 40, the violent one. And uh, so to continue what happened in that family over the next couple of years, 40 was so aggressive and 
engineering the two springs in a row, she killed her sister's pups, mm. which is the worst imaginable thing that a wolf can do to a fellow family member. Mm. Uh, now, 21, during that period, um, he was in a, a really interesting situation because it appeared to me that he just had this ironclad rule to never use his strength or size or fighting ability against female. So other females could tease him, could bite him on the rear end, and he would just wag his tail at them. Um, that was just kind of a rule of his life, that he, he wouldn't be aggressive to a female. So he really wasn't capable of knowing what to do about 40. And the short version of the story of what happened was we gradually saw over the years that 42 befriending the younger females in the family, making alliances with them. And everything came to a head the, the spring after 40 previously killed two litters of her sister's pups. So that third spring, they den separately. And 42 had several of her female allies helping her with her pups. Late one day, we saw 40 walking up into the forest where her sister had her pups, and we assumed now for a third time she was going to kill them. It got dark we, because of the trees. We really couldn't see what was happening anyway. So I came out the next morning, and on the side of the road, drenched in blood, I found a female wolf. And I immediately assumed, well, they finally had it out, and uh, 40 killed 42 because in an outright fight, 40 just didn't have that aggressive streak. 42 didn't have that aggressive streak that her sister did. But when we examined the wolf, well, no, it turned out that it was 40 that was dead. And uh, when we uh, took a closer look at her, uh, her body was just covered with bites, way more than just one wolf could have inflicted on her. So we think what happened was she did go up to her sister's den, did threaten a pop, and apparently for the first time, 42 um, jumped in front of her sister and fought it out with her, and she would have lost that fight. But all the bites indicated that her female allies had come to her aid, come to her side. And so now, instead of just one sister after another, it was probably maybe three females against one. So they defeated her. They didn't kill her. They drove her off. She died of blood loss and shock. And then the conclusion to, to that epic story is even more interesting, I think. 21 was helpless at Forty's Den because they needed to be nursed and there's nothing he could do regarding that. So I saw him take the chance of going up to 42's den. He got her, brought her back to the other den to show her the pups that were crying out fed. And it turned out that uh, we were able to prove that uh, 42 uh, adopted and raised her sister's pups alongside her own pups. So that alliance that she had put together, she reorganized the entire pack with her being in charge, got everyone to work together, and that made 21's life infinitely easier. He didn't have all this female drama going on all the time around him that he was helpless to deal with. And uh, so it was easy for him to hunt and protect the family and then let 42 be the boss of the operation. Um, 
that was a good deal for him. Yeah. And so uh, 42 was just a, a, a genius at organization. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if she had been born a human woman, she could have been a, um, uh, a general or a president or um, the head of Microsoft, <laughs> whatever you want to say. She, she had that organizational ability. That's a great story. What's the jaw pressure of a wolf? Boy, about 1,500 pounds. Yeah, that's a question. And, uh, of course, that's where dogs get that, too. If you think of, you know, being bitten by a Doberman or something like that, it's a pretty dangerous proposition. But, um, you know, you, you have to think about the issue that that's their only weapon. And so if they're fighting another pack or um, uh, they're trying to kill an animal that's uh, 7 to 20, uh, 20 times bigger than they are, um, they have to get their face right in there. It's face to face, a very personal battle. Now, wolves cooperate in a hunt, and that's the main reason why they've been a successful species over the years. Well, there's a, a lot of variations in how a hunt might play out, but let's say a, a, a typical scenario might be something like this. So you have a pack of and seven of them adults that have some experience in hunting. So let's just say those seven adults are, are chasing a group of elk. And like the example that I, I mentioned in the video of one elk being slower, let's just say that happens to be the case because most chases, the, the wolves just are left in the dust. But let's just say they notice that one elk is a little bit slower and there's a chance of getting it. Probably the fastest wolf is going to be a female yearling because they're uh, maybe 80, 85 pounds, something like that. Mm-hmm. Built like a, let's say, a, a woman marathoner that has a slender build. So she can use that to her advantage, the, the wool. Um, so what her job probably is going to be is to catch up with that slow well and then to grab with her jaws one of the hind legs mm-hmm. and just hold on. Now, that's a dangerous proposition because the elk has that other hind leg with that rock-hard hoof, it can kick that wolf right in the face and knock it off. Mm-hmm. However, if that female wolf can hang on for a few moments, ideally what will happen is perhaps her sister can catch up and grab the other leg. So now they're both protecting each other, and their combined weight is going to slow the elk down even more so that the other wolves, the, the bigger and stronger wolves, but slower can catch up. And then it, it, it could be any wolf, but let's just say it's the alpha male. Uh, he may take on the most dangerous job, and that would be to get in front of the elk uh, and, and to try to leap up and grab the throat. Now, the problem with that is that you can be trampled by the front hooves of the elk, or if it's a bullock, be gored to death with the antlers. So it's a a very hazardous position to be in. So when I see a situation like that, you see the the wolf, we'll say it's the alpha male, um, ducking, going back and forth, trying to get the position, and then when the moment is right, leaping off the ground at the diagonal level, jumping up, turning his jaws to the side and trying to grab it. Now they do, as I said, have 15 pounds of pressure in their jaws. So if he gets a good bite in there, then he's gonna be able to sink his teeth in. If there's a nearby tree or big boulder, the elk will try to smash the wolf against that to get it off. But 
if he can hold on for a couple of minutes, the elk is probably going to die, either due to asphyxiation or perhaps the uh, one of the, the sharp long K90s piercing the jugular vein, right. and that will do it. So um, all that, I, I think you can tell from that description, all those jobs are really dangerous. And um, I'm not sure what the percentage is. I, I've seen the Wolf Project research, perhaps 14 15% of the cause of death of all wolves in Yellowstone is to be killed by prey animals. Mm-hmm. We already mentioned that another 50% is killed by rival wolves. So that brings you up to about 65% of adult wolves have violent deaths killed either by prey or rival wolves. So that gives you a pretty good idea of what a, a difficult job it is to be a wild wolf. So where do wolves make their dens? Uh, and can you are those dens observable from where you're, you're looking at them through the scope? Sometimes yes and sometimes no. So for many years, the the druids denned in a forest. So we would see them go in the trees and then come out. But the pack that we may study right now, the Junction Butte pack, um, they oftentimes have a den that is visible from a distance, probably about a mile or so. And there's a creek that in the spring runs pretty high. So it's a natural barrier that uh, is a pretty good deterrent of people crossing going to get closer to the den. So, for example, this spring, we watched the, the mother wolf go into the den. They get pregnant in uh, February. The gestation, like dogs, is about two months. So the pups are born plus or minus mid-April. And uh, we see them come out as little tiny pups, just barely able to crawl around, um, maybe when they're two or three weeks old, and then gradually see them uh, uh, get older, get bigger, develop. The mother is, is nursing them during those early months, and then later they switch to um, regurgitating meat to them. But we had a, a real fascinating situation this spring with that pack where it appeared that three females were pregnant. One of them denned away from the primary den. Um, the uh, one wolf, 907, took one of the the dens in the in the main area, and then the alpha female, the highest-ranking one, um, took a, a, another site that was only a few hundred yards away. So we watched them in the early part of the spring, and to, to condense a, a long story and a lot of information, two of the mothers, for some reason, lost their pups, lost their entire litters. We, we don't know what happened. And so the only one that had surviving pups the second ranking one. She previously had been the alpha female, but had been overthrown by a younger wolf. And so what we saw happen and document was that the two mothers who lost their litters, they left their den, went to the mother that still had surviving pups, and they helped her with her pups to the extent that we actually saw all three of the mothers nurse that one litter of pups. So uh, why do the, why uh, how many pups the, are in a litter normally? Well, there's a lot of variation, but an average would be about six or so. Probably a lot depends on the health of mother, the diet, things like that. Uh, there's variation. Sometimes it's only one or two, but six tends to be about the average. Uh-huh. 
and and the den is usually uh, dug out from uh, in soft earth. Is that correct? Yeah, um, it, that particular den that I've been referring to, uh, we happen to know how it originated. It uh, long ago had been dug out by coyotes, mm-hmm. and um, let's say a, a polite way to say it is the the wolf made an arrangement with the coyotes to. Um, take over ownership of the den, um, meaning they got rid of the coyote. Right. And so they enlarged it, and um, the, some of the researchers that worked here when the wolves were long gone from the, the site, they were able to do a measurement. And back then, uh, it might even be deeper now, but it went straight in about 15 feet. So uh, if you picture um, a hillside, a slope, um, it's a, a tunnel. Um, where um, a wolf, a mother wolf, would only have to maybe just duck a little bit to fit in. And um, so it might be about, oh, two, two and a half feet high, a couple of feet wide. And that particular den, which has been used for many years, as I said, goes in 15 feet. And there have been times where several mothers have had litters in there in the past. Um, So what works well for one wolf pack works for another. I think over the years we've documented that Either four or five different wolf packs have used that same den, oh, really? plus the coyotes. I one time had an Alaskan Malamute, and uh, that when that dog got pregnant, uh, she dug a den uh, in from our garden, and uh, it would probably went back about three or four feet. Yeah, it's really the same principle, and they yep. do it really fast. I worked with some captive wolves once. They had pups, young pups, and we had to move them to a new enclosure, and uh, both parents worked together, and they, they had a serviceable uh, den dug out in, boy, 20, 30 minutes, something like that. Right. So uh, why do wolves howl? To communicate um, and to um, transmit messages, to express emotions. So if you were a young male leaving home and the mating season was approaching, you're howling to um, advertise your availability, I guess you could say. That's what 21 did. Um, the mating season is in February, so in the months leading up to that, and I guess you could say we're in that right now. So if you were a, a young female in a pack with a good quality territory, the, the issue that you're dealing with is that all the males that you know are too closely related to you. Uh, for you to be interested in. So it's kind of a Romeo and Juliet type thing. If someone comes courting to you below your balcony, then um, you're probably going to be pretty interested. Um, My uh, third book on Wolf 302, The Redemption of Wolf 302, he he has an especially fascinating story. I I, I don't think we talked about him yet, did we? I don't think so. Okay. So he was 21's nephew. And if 21 was uh, the epitome of male responsibility <laughs> for a wolf, uh, his nephew, 302, was kind of the opposite. He uh, was not a very responsible guy. So he showed up in 21's territory during the mating season, and all of 21's daughters flocked to this very, very good-looking male wolf. And he got a lot of them pregnant and then abandoned them. Uh, the father wolf, 21, he, during that period, had correctly... Um, evaluated the suitor of his daughters as uh, a no-good boyfriend, so he repeatedly would try to chase 302 away from the daughters, and several times we saw him catch 302 and beat him up. 
But as I've already mentioned, uh, 21 never in his life killed another wolf that we know of, so he just couldn't kill the bad boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And uh, the consequences of that was after 302 abandoned those daughters and they had pups, we were later able to prove that that year, at a minimum, through DNA testing, 21 had to raise at least five pups that had been fathered by the, the boyfriend. Oh, yeah. But the reason there's a whole book about the story of 302 was at the end of a very long life, somehow he totally changed his character and personality. Um, and uh, he was the most unreliable wolf that I've ever known. But then as an old guy, he uh, became an, a good alpha male, a good father, a good mm -hmm. mate, and died in a, an extremely heroic manner. Um, so it's a, an especially fascinating story. But it, it's, to me, it's just one more facet of wolf behavior, that, mm -hmm. like people, like dogs. They can change over time and in terms of Wolf 302, his character changed very much uh, for the better from being totally unreliable and irresponsible to being a, a great alpha male that fulfill his duties. So it, it's just that it was an amazing story to witness. Right. Pups die of distemper. Uh, talk about that. And can, can adults also get distemper? Yeah, that's a, an, an unfortunate thing to uh, get into. Um, so it is in the ecosystem, coyotes and other animals such as wolves get it. Um, what they found from the research here is that um, if a mother had been exposed to distemper and survived it, then she can transmit or um, trans, you know, transfer antibodies to her pups in her milk. Um, they've also discovered that um, wolves that are born with black coats have genetics that give them a certain degree of resistance to distemper. It's not immunity, but a resistance to it. So there's a value in having a black coat. Um, we found that if um, a wolf on a young was never exposed to distemper, and then uh, does get exposure as an adult, it can be then. So um, it, it probably is somewhat beneficial if pups are exposed to maybe mild cases of distemper and survive it, perhaps thanks to their mother's milk, and then um, they will they will be resistant to it um, for the rest of their life. But I'll be writing about an adult wolf. He was an alpha male um, that. Uh, when he was in the prime of his life, I noticed that he was getting very lethargic. And over the course of the next week or so, I watched him every day, and he just deteriorated further and further um, day after day to the point where he could no longer get up. Mm -hmm. And uh, But uh, the, the, the point of the story, the way that I'll write about it in my upcoming book, is that he had a, 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 a very sto uh, stoic, very courageous attitude about what was happening. He was very accepting of it. Mm -hmm. uh, at the end, about the only thing that he could do is lift his head and look around. And as far as I could tell, he was very calm and understanding and accepting of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, as best I can tell, when the time came, he probably was sleeping and just passed away in his sleep. And um, it was a, a very calm way for him to go. Uh, wolves also get mange, apparently, uh, 
what does that do to them? Yeah, the mange is um, is a whole other story, and uh, we've been able to find from historic records that it was deliberately spread in Montana in the old days when they were trying to exterminate wolves. They would catch wild wolves, put them in pens with other wolves that would infect them, and then they would release those infected wolves back in their territory so they could um, uh, infect the, the, the mange bugs with um, the other wolves. They're, they're done by mites. What we found here, which is really fascinating, is that even if an adult wolf has a bad case of mange and it's in the winter where they're losing a lot of their fur and therefore um, it's really hard to keep themselves warm, that uh, uh, their pack mates will feed them, will bring food to them, share food with them, protect them from rival wolves, etc. So an adult wolf with mange that's in a pack has a pretty good chance of surviving due to its companions helping it, whereas if it's a lone wolf, pretty good chance that it's going to die. Mm. Yeah. So uh, when, does a, when does a wolf reach maturity to become an adult? Well, maybe the easiest to talk about that would be sexual maturity. Uh, the mating season is in February, as we mentioned. So um, wolves are born in the spring, in uh, April. So uh, a one-year-old wolf um, would be the following April. And then the next winter, specifically February, uh, a little bit before it's two years old. That would be about 22 months old. Then uh, a normal, healthy wolf in Yellowstone, male or female, would be physically capable of breeding. Uh, now, if if you're a low-ranking female or male in a pack, the older wolves may try to prevent you breeding. But um, like teenagers in a human situation, young adult uh, wolves can be sneaky and they can get away with stuff. Uh, that their parents may not like. So uh, that's what happened with 21's daughters. They would just run off with 302 and come back pregnant. And there wasn't much that their father could do about that. Um, so it, it gets to be a complicated thing. And um, uh, certainly a, an obvious issue is a pack can only support so many litters. And if, the, if there's too many, then there's probably not going to be a good survival rate. And it may well be that a, a very aggressive, domineering alpha female will drive off other females either before the mating season or ones that become pregnant. So um, it, really anything could happen. She could give preference to her own daughters but drive off females that have been born to one of the other adult females. Uh, uh, there just would be a lot of variety. And then other alpha females are, like 42, are very accommodating to everyone. And they would try to get everyone to work together. So um, almost anything could happen under those circumstances. There's quite a variety of uh, character traits that are exhibited among wolves. Some are very aggressive and some are very passive. Uh, but their personality characteristics can also change over time. Yeah, so we've already talked about 302, and he's probably the best example of that. Uh, he had a radical change in his personality, kind of like uh, similar to the biblical story of the prodigal son, who was welcome back home and totally reformed. Whereas a wolf like 21, or the uh, the main character of my first wolf, 8, 
um, once we started watching them as yearlings, um, they had the, the, both the characters and personalities that just uh, defined the terms responsibility and trustworthiness, um, dependability, etc. So they were always the same, just like some people are always the same from when they're killed kids to uh, older adults. Rick, I have to interrupt. I'm afraid we are out of time once again. And uh, it has been fascinating, and it's great. And I've still got some more questions, so maybe at another time we can do another interview. Okay. Well, it's fun talking to you. And um, um, thanks for all the listeners uh, that uh, are going to be hearing our interview. Hope they like it. But, yeah, let's uh, get together. My next book will be on alpha females, so perhaps we can talk more about that. So our guest today has been Rick McIntyre, wolf uh, researcher in Yellowstone National Park, author of Redemption of Wolf 302. Uh, Log on to Amazon and get it, please. Uh, This has been Wilderness and Wildlife, a presentation of the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. To hear more of these half-hour interviews, go online to js-wilderness.com and see additional features of our website. Thanks for listening. I'm your host. Jay Shell.